The word of the Lord says this. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Let's pray. Holy Father, we ask that you be with us through your Son, by your Spirit. We ask that you be with those who are listening and the one who is speaking. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> uh, we are, we are uh, winding down on um, you know, lessons of our catechism that we have started when we couldn't meet uh, corporately. Um, this, this, this week and next week are going to be the, the last two and um, that deal with a little bit of what our catechism is saying um, and sort of like branch off lessons and then we will get back into Christology uh, in July. It's good to hear uh, the testimonies of um, Sister Hilda uh, and the way that God has been using her and the boldness, too, that God, through his Son and by his Spirit, has been giving to her. Uh, I remember a few weeks ago, and uh, I, know he do- I hope he doesn't mind, um, because I, I feel the same way. I'm sure all of you feel the same way. But when Brother Ralph asked for prayer for more boldness, uh, in order that he may share the gospel. Um, I need prayer like that as well. Uh, we all need prayer for more boldness. Um, when I, when my, when my father passed away, uh, I went through, uh, an interesting time for a few months, uh, maybe a year, year and a half, where, uh, I started to question uh, every single thing that uh, my mother, my father, and even from what I heard from my brother, uh, questioning whether there is a God, questioning uh, whether Christianity is the one true religion, is, is Islam true? Um, and then I got down this dark road uh, and met uh, men named uh, Richard Dawkins and Samuel Harris and uh, Christopher Hitchens. Um, these men, if you don't know, uh, were atheists and are atheists. Christopher Hitchens is no longer living. And as I began to read these men, what they were saying uh, spoke to the emotion that I was feeling at the time. Uh, why would God allow such and such thing to happen? Uh, and in reading these men, I started to think that, well, maybe there isn't no God. Uh, maybe nothing uh about religion is true. So I began for a short period of time um, behind closed doors, of course, not telling anyone what I was thinking, uh, thinking that God is not for real, that God doesn't exist. And uh, by God's grace, uh, he did not let me go. But he can, I, I continue to, to press on and study uh, if Christianity is true or not, and uh, by his grace, I, I came to the conclusion uh, that everything that my mother and father and my brother taught me was true. And as I began to uh, uh, become more and more familiar with the Christian faith, uh, I had a, a zeal to tell others about my faith. Uh, I wanted to let everyone know that Jesus Christ uh, was truly the Son of God incarnate. But one of the uh, hesitancies that I had 
was what Brother Ralph was asking prayer for. Was It was boldness. And it wasn't because I was scared to share my faith, but it was because I was scared to meet someone who will give me counter-arguments to what I was saying concerning the faith. So for a long period of time, I was studying uh, atheism and the different things that atheists would say uh, concerning their beliefs. And it's funny how God works because the first few people that I met when I would go out to evangelize were atheists. I can remember uh, being in San Francisco uh, with a few of the church people and I went off on my own. And uh, I saw a guy sitting on the dock. I went up to him. Hey, so um, do you believe in God? The first thing he said is, no, I'm an atheist. <laughs> I said, oh, man. And I had no one around me. Uh, I'm in San Francisco. And I felt like diving into the water <laughs> and drowning. And so uh, we began to talk. And um, if you're like me, though, uh, one of the hesitancies I have toward evangelizing is meeting someone who's going to have a home-run argument. I think, and I'm just talking personally, and maybe you feel the same way, but for a long period of time, atheists scared me to death. Because I felt that they were the smartest people, and I could never get through to them. Uh, That the ones who believed that there is no God were the ones who studied it the most. And they believe that uh, God doesn't exist. But I remember listening to uh, an apologist uh, by the name of uh, Greg Bonson. And he said that if you're a Christian, uh, there isn't one atheist and one atheistic argument that should scare you. And the reason is because, saints, you have a more powerful word. And that is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll get into that next Sunday evening. But this Sunday evening, what I want to do is I want us to consider what are the problems with atheism? What are the problems with atheism? And if you don't know, if you don't know what atheism is, it's simply those who believe that there is no God. Now, some will, atheists want to distinguish whether well, soft atheists or hard atheists. Simply put, if you don't believe that there is a God, you're an atheist. We want to consider this evening, what's the problem with those who believe that there is no God? I think it's fitting for us, especially in the time that we are living in, uh, because we see more and more, even famous people coming out and speaking boldly for the cause of atheism, that there is no God. Many of your friends, I'm sure, are atheists. They might not say it but they for sure live it. So this evening, let's consider the problem with atheism, just two points. Number one, atheism, atheism, the problem with atheism is they deny the plain evidence of God. And number two, the problem with atheism is they deny the plain evidence of God in practice. So it's really, they deny the plain evidence of God, and then they deny the plain evidence of God in practice, okay? Let's consider the first point, and that is, Atheism is a denial of the plain evidence of God. Again, our text says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. 
the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Probably the number one argument that atheists use is there isn't sufficient enough evidence to believe that God exists. That there, ha- there hasn't been quite enough evidence that God exists. And what they mean by evidence is material scientific evidence for the existence of God. You might hear that science has given to us all that we need, all the evidence we need, in order for us to believe that the universe does not need a creator. In fact, the atheist would probably say that it's foolish to believe that all of what you see comes from God or uh, an intelligent being. But saints, here in our text, the psalmist says that it's a foolish thing to believe that there is no God. While the atheist says it's foolish to believe that there is a God, we say that it's a foolish thing to believe that there's not a God. And friends, this is the point that we've touched on throughout uh, the weeks in our catechism, is it not? If you remember what question three of our catechism says, how may we know that there is a God? Answer, the light of nature in man and the works of God plainly declare there is a God. So here, our catechism is giving us Two reasons, two ways in which we are to see that there is a God. The first is by the light of nature. The light of nature. Which, if you remember, the light of nature simply means that man, by the use of right reason, can observe the created world and come to the conclusion that God exists. They could go outside observe the stars, the sun, clouds, all of nature, and they can say that this comes from someone. In other words, man has the ability to observe the created world and come to the conclusion that God exists. And this is important here, apart from presupposing that any one religion is true. So apart from ever reading the Bible, apart from ever understanding Christianity, Ever watching an atheist first Christian debate, man can come to the conclusion that God exists. Francis Turretin is helpful here. He says, although the human reason is very dark, yet there still remains in it some rays of natural light and certain first principles of truth, which is unquestionable. Simply put, when Adam fell in the garden, Adam did not annihilate man's ability to reason to God. Now, although... Man will always say that there is no God. It doesn't mean that they can't come to the conclusion that God exists. Because God's uh, knowledge is evident or innate in them. And friends, why can we come to such conclusions by just observing the created world around us? Why is that? Why can we look at the created world And say that there is a God. And the reason is because God has revealed himself in creation. God has made himself known all throughout this universe. Again, and two quotes that you've heard already before. But Francis Turretin and John Calvin say, God has so clearly manifest himself in his works that men cannot open their eyes without being immediately struck with the majesty and splendor of so great a deity. You can't open your eyes without seeing God. John Calvin, men cannot open their eyes without being compelled to see him. 
Upon his individual works, he has engraved unmistakable marks of his glory. So clear and prominent that even the unlettered and stupid folk cannot please excuse of ignorance. What Calvin and Tertian are basically saying is all throughout this world, all throughout this universe, God has engraved a mark of his glory in order to leave men without excuse. There will never be a time when an atheist meets God in heaven and says, you did not give me sufficient enough evidence. But God has made himself plain through his creation. Just as there is not one molecule in this world that God is not sovereign over, sovereign over. Just as there is not one inch in this world that does not display God's handiwork. This is what the Bible clearly teaches, is it not? Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Psalm 95, verses 3 through 5, for the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands form the dry ground. And lastly, Romans 1, 19 through 20, because that which is known about God is evident within them. Notice what Paul is saying here, that God is known within the human person. For God has made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. Being understood through what has been made so that may or without excuse. So what is Paul saying here? Paul, are you saying that the clouds and the, and the sky and nature around us displays the invisible attributes of God? Yes. It displays that God is creator. That he's eternal. Here we see from the biblical witness of scripture that God has left his fingerprints all over creation. There isn't one square inch on this world where God has not left the marks of his handiwork. And friends, this is the atheist delusion where we believe that creation testifies to the fact that there is a God. The atheist believes that creation testifies to chance and randomness. Consider the words of Stephen Hawking, who is considered one of the greatest minds that's ever been given to science, who is an atheist, by the way, and he passed away. Uh, spontaneous creation. Hear what he says. Spontaneous, out of nothing, no direct cause. Creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing. One of the great philosophical questions is why is there something rather than nothing? Stephen Hawking says spontaneous creation is the reason. Unguided cause why the universe exists and why we exist. It is not necessary to invoke God to light the blue torch or uh, the blue touch paper and set the universe going. It's not necessary to believe that God sets in motion the universe existence. According to Hawking, we don't need God to explain why there is something rather than nothing. Because according to his mind, and hear this, something can come from nothing. In Hawking's mind, 
something can come from nothing. Let me ask you a question. Do babies pop up spontaneously? Are buildings built spontaneously? I know those are sort of extreme examples. But we understand that nothing or something does not come from nothing. That there always has to be a cause for something to come into be. We do not say that something can come from nothing, but rather what we say is out of nothing, nothing comes. Out of nothing, nothing comes. Because nothing has the power to produce something. What is nothing? What does it mean for there to be nothing? Does nothing have any potentiality in and of itself, apart from any direct cause to be something? No. Chance doesn't have the power to produce something. Random selection doesn't have the power to produce something. Consider how tightly the uh, organized this universe is. If we were any closer to the sun, we'd be burned up. If we were any farther away, we would freeze. Consider the complexity of humans, the human eye and DNA. There is not a chance in this world that this world came into be on its own. Nor is there a chance that men came about through an evolutionary process. But this is what the atheist wants to believe. The famous evolutionary biologist and atheist Richard Dawkins was once asked, oh, what would you say if you met God? His response, well, I would ask God, which one are you? Are you Zeus? Are you Thor? Are you Baal? Are you Yahweh? And why did you take great pains to conceal yourself and hide yourself from us? That's the same thing along the same lines uh, that Burton Russell, the famous atheist, was asked when he, when he said, uh, uh, God, why did you take great pains to hide yourself from me? And friends, what we are saying is there's not a single centimeter, inch, foot, whatever, in this world that does not display God's existence. But there's a problem with atheism, is it not? Uh, Pastor Antonio tells me that when he, when he, uh, tries to correct his daughter, Selah, Selah tends to put her, her eyes in front of her face and not look at him. My son, when I want to change his diaper, when he went to the restroom, he goes to the corner and he just stares at the corner. And he doesn't move. He doesn't like this diaper to be changed. But what he's doing is, he's pretending that I'm not there. And saints, the atheist is very much like those children, are they not? Simply put, to be an atheist is to deny all the plain evidence of God's existence by burying your head in the sand. Is by covering your eyes. And the Bible says that these people are fools. Let's consider our last point, and that is atheism is wrong because... They deny the plain evidence of God in practice. So we've seen that the atheists deny God's existence. Um, 
the plain evidence of God's existence. And now we see that they deny God's existence in practice by the way that they live. Again, our text reads, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But saints, can this really be true? Are these words correct? Think about what the psalmist is saying. How is it that those who deny God's existence are called fools? Throughout the history of the world, some of the brightest minds have been those who deny God's existence. I mean, let's be honest, atheists are extremely smart people. They truly are. So what does it mean when the Bible says these deniers of God are fools? How can they be fools when they're so bright? Well, when the Bible says that those who deny God's existence are fools, they don't primarily mean that these people have a head problem. But rather, first and foremost, they have a heart problem. Such fools are often bright people with high intellect. They are not a fool in the sense that they are dumb, are not able to reason, or put words together. But rather, the problem goes much deeper than their heads, but the problem lies in their heart. Again, our text does not say, the fool says in his mind there is no God, but the fool says in his heart that there is no God. Simply put, atheists don't want there to be a God. Now let's dive into this a little bit deeper. In many of the works of systematic theologies by the Reformed, they distinguish between two types of atheists. First, there's the theoretical atheist. And that's the atheist who denies the existence of God by studying different theories. They look at all the questions of God's existence that Christians and whoever Bring up, uh, bring up. And then they come to the conclusion by reason that there's not a God. But then there's the practical atheist. And this is the atheist who not only denies God's existence by reason, but also by practice. Not merely by reason, but by practice. This is the atheist who doesn't live like there is a God. And saints, this is the atheist that Psalm 14.1 is speaking of. The practical atheist is one who doesn't want there to be a God. They prefer that God is not real. For they know that if God is real, then their lifestyle must change. The atheist knows that if God does exist, then they can't keep living in a manner that is in total rebellion against him. That if God exists, then they must change the way that they think about life and the way that they live. Ultimately, the atheist knows that if God does exist, then they have to stop sinning. And this is why the atheist says in his heart that there is no God. This practical atheist says in his heart that there is no God in order to cover up their sin. The practical atheist uses the denial of God's existence as a license to indulge in whatever sin that they desire. It is their reason to keep on sinning. And that is what it is to be an atheist, saints. 
To be an atheist is to live life in whatever way you desire. To go your own road without any guidance. And this is a side note, but I think it's important for us, especially in light of the gross thing that I saw today. To be an atheist is to live life in, in whatever way you desire and saying, this is why there will never be, ever, in all of evers, will ever be a Christian who's a homosexual. There will never be a Christian who professes that Jesus Christ is Lord, but also loves the same sex. There is no such thing as someone like that. And if you ever meet a homosexual that tells you that they're a Christian, stop them at their tracks and say, no, you're not a Christian. And if you are a Christian, I don't know what that Christianity looks like. Because that's not the Christianity of the Bible. This month, America has deemed June as Gay Pride Month. And it's really their attempt to highlight and throw a big party for their sin. Just as if you are truly a Democrat, your beliefs cannot be consistent with Christianity. You can't live in whatever way that you want and still profess the name of Christ, as we have heard this morning. The atheist and the homosexual both deny the existence of God by doing the very same thing, and that is living in complete rebellion against God. And saints, these type of people, the atheist, the homosexual, these type of people who deny God's existence by the way that they live are ultimately fulfilling Satan's great lie to Adam and Eve in the garden. They are doing Satan's work. They are exchanging the truth of God for a lie. And they are wanting and desiring to be God themselves. They want to be God and they make themselves God. Where they live a life where they are their own boss. And hear this, with no eternal consequences. I can do whatever I want and not have to be judged later for it. But I think the great misery of atheism lies in that very point, that there is no eternity. There is no eternity for the atheist. They deny any existence of a hell, any existence of a heaven. I read a funny joke uh the past couple of days as I was studying, it said, what was written on the tombstone of the atheist as he lied in the grave? All dressed up with nowhere to go. And that is so true of the atheist, is it not? All dressed up in your tombstone, in your your coffin, but you're going nowhere. The atheist Stephen Hawking once said, heaven is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. And that's what atheism is at its its core. It's a dark, misery religion. 
And saints, this is the great misery of denying the existence of God. To be an atheist is to live a complete, meaningless life. Because life itself is meaningless. I, myself, am meaningless. To be an atheist is to have no hope for the future. To be an atheist is to have no hope that the future will be better than the present nor the past. Atheism atheism at its core shows the the height of man's depravity. And it's the greatest religion that Satan has ever devised. As we come to close, saints, it was asked by actor, comedian, and atheist Stephen Fry, what would he say if he was confronted by God? Fry's response, I'd say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world to which there is such misery that is not of our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world that is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I would tell God if I saw him in person. The great sin of atheism, ultimately, saints, is that it denies the great remedy for atheism. The great sin of atheism is they deny Jesus Christ. They deny his person. They deny his work. They deny that Jesus Christ is the only salvation for sinners. That Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. This is the great sin of atheism. Is that they make a mockery of the cross. They make a mockery of Christ. They debate whether Jesus Christ even existed or not. But we, saints, are not the fools who say in our heart that there is no God. We are not those ones who have a heart problem. We had a heart problem. But by God's grace, he has given to us new life. Now, how do we live in light of this lesson? You might think that this lesson was only for atheists. That we're Christians. We come to church. We believe in God. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What relevance is, as does this lesson have for us? And how do we live in light of this? <clears throat> Although we are not atheists by mouth and by reason, we can be atheists by practice, even as Christians. We might confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but are we living out that confession? Are we merely Peters by mouth? And then we are Judas by practice. Who are we? It's a great thing to confess the same confession of Peter. But saints, are you living as one who was truly sold out for that confession of faith? That is living every single word of that confession of faith. Pastor Antonio proposed this question this morning to all of us, and 
It's the same question that I leave you with. Is how much of your life is Christ Lord of? Yes, we love Christ, but do we live like we love Christ? And how much of this Christ are we allowing him to be Lord and master over our lives? Or are we practical atheists? We are to examine ourselves, friends. And we were exhorted to do this morning. We are to take up our cross. We are to deny all of who we want to be and conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And one day we will be rewarded as we have learned this morning. And that's the great promise and joy of Christianity is, yes, that we have been saved of our sins, but that's one day that we will be with our Christ in that great city that was read for us this morning in Revelation. The atheist can't hope for that. And that's why we are to be eager in evangelizing. We are to be bold. Because you might not know every single argument that an atheist throws at you. But if you can understand what's truly going on, and that is, there's a heart issue there. Let's get at the heart problem. Why don't you want there to be a God? Then I think everything will come to full circle, at least from my experience. Let's pray.